Welcome back to Education, where parenting and Jewish education merges. This week's episode is a special episode in light of the current recent events, and it is really a must-listen by everyone in our community. We were really lucky to have a conversation with Mrs. Debbie Fox, who founded and directs Magen Yaldim, a program meant to create a safer world for our youth by preventing abuse and providing intervention when necessary. Debbie discusses her go-to tool that she gives over to parents and the way that we as a community can realistically put an end to these horrible things. Debbie discusses the importance of communication and how and when to have these types of conversations with our children. Debbie gives us the tools that we need to pick up on cues better, as well as book recommendations that could be helpful to read with our children. Debbie discusses the idea that if we don't preempt these conversations with our children and set them up to know how to handle these situations, then we're setting them up for failure. I sincerely hope that we should see a day soon where we no longer need this. But for the time being, I really hope that this is helpful to provide the concrete tools and the perspectives that we need as a community to put an end to this. As I said, this episode is really a must listen because in order for us to put a stop for this, we all need to come together. So please share this with your family, share this with your friends, share it on WhatsApp groups, on Facebook groups, on LinkedIn, on WhatsApp, on Instagram, any, really anywhere. Let's get this going everywhere so that way we can realistically put an end to this. And I want to give a major shout out to my brother-in-law, Dr. Eric Pollock from Ezra Medical Center and his own private practice based in Woodmere, New York, Clearview Psychological. An amazing psychologist, an amazing brother-in-law who really, really, without him, this episode would not have happened. So a major thank you to him. Before we get to the episode, I want to open up the floor to all of you to see if you have questions that you'd like to be addressed on future episodes, something in parenting, Jewish education, education, anything that's troubling you, challenging for you, please let us know at jeducation.org. You can send us a message there or email us at jeducationpodcast at gmail.com. If you have any ideas that you'd like to hear about or any speakers specifically that you'd like to hear from, please reach out to us so we can keep giving you that great education advice. Also, if you'd like to sponsor an episode for, for Shalema, for Yardside, or really for anything, please reach out to us email education.org, whichever one works for you. As always, a reminder to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and to subscribe to our mailing at education.org if you'd like to receive updates of when the newest episode comes out. And finally, before we get to the episode, I want to thank our sponsors once again, my good friend, performance and executive coach Bennett Schwartz. Bennett will help you build the confidence and work on the tools and techniques that you need to reach your goals and the quality of life that you want, no matter what position or stage of life that you are in. Feel free to reach out to him via email at Bennett, which is B-E-N-N-E-T-T at an insidelookpodcast.com. If you want to feel if you want to learn more about coaching with Bennett, please reference this podcast to get a free initial call for you to experience the power of coaching. Without further ado, enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Jeducation Podcast. My name is Yetir Manchel. Jeducation, where parenting and Jewish education merge to give our children the best possible experience. Whether you chose to be an educator by profession or not, we are all Jewish educators. Day in and day out in our own homes, we are educating our children on what it means to be a Jew, what it means to be a good person. And sometimes, perhaps most of the time, the education children receive in their homes is more impactful than the formal education they receive in school. Check us out at jeducation.org today and remember to subscribe to the podcast. In light of the current recent events, I think it is extremely important for us to have this conversation to discuss how to teach children about safety boundaries with their bodies, to be better prepared as a community to prevent abuse from happening. And as such, for this special episode, we are very lucky to have Mrs. Debbie Fox. Debbie is the founder and creator of the internationally recognized safety kid program, Magin Yaladim. Debbie has facilitated a unique partnership between schools families and children to create a safer world for 
our community's youngest members at home, school, and at camp. Guided by her passion for keeping children safe, she established Maguinho Adem Child Safety Institute in 2013 and currently serves as its director, consulting throughout the world on abuse prevention and intervention. Debbie is a, a licensed social worker and le- lectures fre- frequently and is published within her areas of expertise. Her work as a consultant has been utilized by the county and state agencies in the areas of child, family, and cross-cultural sensitivity training, for which she has received letters of honor and recognition. So really want to thank you so much, Debbie, for taking the time on such short notice to talk about such an important, important topic. And uh, really, really a thank you. And, you know, all of us educators, we, we really appreciate your time. So thank you. I'm happy to participate. Amazing. So first things first. What what inspired you to create Maganya Adem? Well, the truth is that I'd say about maybe close to 15 years ago, um, when I was um, the director of a of a um, Orthodox program, an Orthodox counseling program here in Los Angeles, and we had a a very wonderful and very interactive uh, group of rabbanim that were what we called our halachic advisory board, and at that time, which was maybe I'm going to say 16 years ago or so, 15 years ago, um, we had three cases of sexual abuse that came to us that were in a very close proximity, maybe six months. In those days, it really was not talked about and right. really was shocking. Mm-hmm. It was really shocking. Right, of course. And so... Yeah. And so the Rabbanim who I used to go through, we used to meet monthly and we'd sit down with them and go through all the cases and situations. Uh, interestingly, at that time, what happened was they said to me, we can't, as one of them, I remember saying, we can't say that a bunch of white beards are walking out of a room hearing this and not doing anything about it. Right, we right. need to do something. Hmm. And so they put me on it, you know, wow. to figure out how we could do something. We actually connected with the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children um, who were more than happy to help and train us. Uh, they were. They uh, gave us a trainer for a year. She did the first training. She helped adapt all of the materials so they could be culturally sensitive. She took, um, she did our trainings uh, in our schools. Our first trainers went down to uh, Palos Verdes, California where she was. Um, and she really helped develop the core of the program, which which grew from then. Mm. And their goal was to help prevent um, sexual abuse. So the mm. program started with a children's program. That was the first piece that it started with as a response. At the time, you said it was started because there was three cases in a short span. Do you think that that was really the only cases that were going on or those were just the ones that we were that you were hearing about? I was sure that there were other things that were going on. It's just that it so happened to be that those three cases came in a short period of time. And it became very clear that this was an issue. Mm -hmm. These issues were so not talked about at the time. Right, Um, right. And it really became clear to all of the Rabbanim that this is an issue and we are going to deal with it. We started right. out saying we were going to deal with it with our own city. We weren't thinking about anybody else at the point. Right. And as we were still in the formation of the program, we got a call from another city 
that had a situation of uh, in that city, it happened to have been a it happened to have been a rabbi um, who was involved with um, and then showing it to kids and that kind of thing. He was arrested for child pornography mm. and the school, we didn't even finish the program, but the school was wow. like, we have to get out here right away. We need help. Wow. And it, oh, wow. it, that's what happened was just like literally before I have never advertised the program ever. Really? Never. So how did it just, everyone, as things have come up, people were just like, oh, you know, you need to speak to Debbie Fox. You need to speak to Mug and Yellow Dome. That wow. kind of thing is what's happened. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. So the, the mission of Maganyel Dem, as you know, on your, on your website, it says it's to provide a pr- protective safety net for children through preventing the incidents of child abuse, intervening effectively with cultural sensitivity when abuse occurs, and providing avenues and resources for ongoing support to promote healing for those children and their families. That's a lot. There's a lot going on there. Take me through each of these. How do you accomplish these incredible, amazing goals that are so necessary? So the the first piece that we do, I'm going to see if I can try to explain it this way and with the kind of what we provide in, in each environment and then how we provide it. Mm-hmm. And so what our, our premise is, is that it takes a community to protect a child. It also takes a community that allows abuse. Mm-hmm. And if we don't all work together so that there are no gaps then we're in a community that allows abuse. Mm -hmm. And so what does that mean? So what we start with is we start with schools within communities. That's where we start. And what we do is we start with um, educating the administration. And we focus with administration on um, creating a, a safe environment in the school. So that means environmental issues and supervision and in, in, in different places within the school. Right, it right. means making sure that you know um, that you've taught your teachers what are professional boundaries, mm-hmm. professional boundaries with the students. It includes safe hiring practices. Are you really looking into each of the people that you're hiring right, or right. are we passing problems along? Sure. Right. So, we do a lot with them on um, creating a, a safe environment for children. The second thing we do is we go to staff and we do a two hour workshop with staff. Mm-hmm. Do that workshop with staff. It's very focused on what does a staff need to do in order to help protect children. So one thing we do a lot of, we go over professional boundaries very carefully with staff. But we also talk about how would staff know if you're a Rebbe or you're a Mora or you're a teacher, and how would you have any idea if a child in your class was at risk? Right. So we spend Meaning a being lot able of to pick time. up on, on cues. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So we spend a lot of time with that in helping them so that they know. Now, what would they do if they knew it? If they suspected it? Right. How do we, how do they then bring that to somebody. When do they have a pink flag? When do they have a red flag? Mm -hmm. Those kinds of things. A lot of time with them on, um, and how, if a report needed to be made, how do they go about doing that? Mm -hmm. So we go spend a lot of time with, with teachers, educating teachers. 
The third piece of the program is that we educate parents. Mm. Our parent program is um, very practical. We don't do scare tactics. We don't tell them everybody's going to be abused. We don't do that. We really focus with them on very practical tools. And most of them involve conversations. What do you you mean? Oh, how do you have the conversation? Mm. Mm -hmm. With your kids in natural ways. So we do a lot of conversations with kids and a lot of scenarios that could happen. And how do we keep kids in our houses safe? When you say conversations, you're saying conversations to be able to bring out from them if there's something going on or not necessarily? I I don't want to get there. Uh-huh. Meaning you're saying conversations to help prevent it, meaning giving them preventative tools that way they don't even get there in, in the first place. Or if they do, that they know that a child would know, you know what, my parent talked to me about that. Right, right, right. My parents said that I need to go tell them if this mm-hmm, happens. Mm-hmm. I just need to do that because my parent is one who knows how to talk about these things. Right. What happens in the firm community is so often parents do not bring up the topic with their kids. Right. Um, and therefore what kids learn is either kid to them, or if my parent doesn't talk about it, it's pretty scary or it's not something I can talk about. So they just stay quiet. Right. There's that taboo. It's, and it, it's, unfortunately it still is a little bit of even, even, in the modern Orthodox world, it's also a little bit of a taboo, which is unfortunate because it's, I mean, it's becoming less and less, but at the same time, there's still that taboo. It's like, oh, how do we have that conversation? And it's, it's awkward. It's weird. And you don't want to bring it up. And, and that's what leads to this, unfortunately. And what you're saying is so true, which is there is a discomfort. Right. There's a discomfort. And so what we really focus on is giving people language for having these conversations and Mm -hmm. tools for having these conversations. So they become a little less frightening for the parents. So they feel like they know how to do it. So what are some of those tools that we can, uh, we can give over? Um, I'll tell you one that I'm, I'm, I'm known for. I'm not, I'm not so sure it's the the one I happen to be most famous, but I'm I'm (laughs) thrilled about, but it is one is that I often talk to parents of jelly voice, right? So what does that mean? A peanut butter and jelly voice, right? That if I said to your kids, do you want a cream cheese sandwich or a peanut butter sandwich? Do I care what the end result is? Mm -hmm. No, I don't. I don't care. It's very calm. Do you want this or do you want that? And what I talk to parents about is your voice has to be that soft and that when you bring up topics, when children are little, when mm. they're getting out of the bath and you want them to put on a towel because you don't want them to run around the house that way, you say really softly, oh, you need to wear a towel. Those are your private parts. We don't walk around like that. We keep mm. them up. But you bring it up in ways. And then when it comes to sensitive discussions, it's important to have those same sensitive discussions in that sense. Can I tell a story? Please. Okay. I have a good friend who's um, a psychologist and we, we work together on different things throughout the years. And he's heard me speak several times. I've heard him speak many times. We kind of go, go back and forth as colleagues. And one day, maybe it was two or three years ago, he calls me up and he's like, Debbie, I'm not calm. I was like, what? <laughs> like, I'm not calm. I'm in my car. I'm not calm. 
I said, what happened? He said, well, you told me to have these discussions and I'm in this calm discussion. Like you tell me how to, you tell everybody how to discuss these things with calm. And I'm having this calm discussion with my son about, you know, we play games with private areas of the body and we never keep secrets with the private areas of the body. And we don't play games at home. We don't play games at school. I'm saying everything you said, we play a game like that. And his father said, what do you mean? And he said, me and my two sisters, we play a game with our private parts. And he said, oh, I have to go now. I'll be back. And he said, he got into his car and he called me and he goes, I'm not calm. (laughs) I am not calm. And I really, that's why I said, do you have any idea what game they're playing? No, I just know I'm not calm. It's just like, and so I said to him, you know what? You have to go back. You have to meet with your wife alone, having a calm conversation. Sit down at the table, put out some cookies um, and say, you know, Schleimy said that there was a game that you guys were playing. Can we talk about that? Let's just that they get to the table and they practice this voice going back and forth. And when they got to the table, his wife had a jar of peanut butter on the table. Uh (laughs) Told me that. Any time this went up, the jar of peanut butter went across the table. <laughs> Baruch Hashem, it was not nearly as complicated as he thought. Mm-hmm. It was a real opportunity for education. Wow. Wow. That's, that's, that's amazing. That's incredible. So how do you then accomplish these goals? So you're saying you, you meet with each, each of these different parties and you're giving them over those, those, those skills and those tools. No, we did. I wanted to just bring one thing up. The piece sure. I didn't bring up was that lastly, after the parents, we do the kids. Mm-hmm. Oh, so you meet with so, kids also? Okay, directly. Yes. So it's administrators. Adults need to be a shield for the children. Right. It's the adults' responsibility to keep the kids safe. But we do teach the kids the skills. And the most important skill we teach the kids is that no matter what happens, they need to tell a parent or a trusted adult to make sure that if something did happen, it can be stopped, or if they have an uncomfortable feeling that it can be paid attention to. Right, right, right. Okay, that's a, that's, that's very important. And I, I also saw that you have different programs. You have a safety cape program, a seminary savvy, project safe camp. What what are the differences between these programs? And I guess, what do these programs look like? Okay, so this that I just talked about is our safety kit program, okay. right? What we do is we provide train the trainers very often in different cities, let's say Cleveland, uh, um, different areas of New York do have it, where we provide a train the trainer. We have these fabulous trainers in that city and they provide the program we just talked about, Mm -hmm. the um, administrative, staff, parent, and children's program in their city every year. And they work together doing that as as a group. They go to all their schools and they do that. We have a group in in Mexico City. We have an incredible program and they do 5,000 children every year. Wow. Wow. That's incredible. So that's the safety. This is through Maganyadim. This is all. Right. I train them and then they do it themselves every year. I don't. I don't go back every year. Got then it. there are smaller communities and schools that will call me and I'll bring a team and just do their own school. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't, let's say Milwaukee or South Bend or whatever. We don't do sure. a train creator so they can do it every year, but they have called like every two or three years and we go back. Gotcha. Wow. 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 That's amazing. Incredible work. 
Mm-hmm. So what you know, you, you mentioned that there's the tools that you speak to educators about and to the adults about. What are some of those concrete things that you talk about that are important for parents to know, for kids to know, for educators to know, for abundant to know? You know, if you could break them down for us, give us those tools and skills, especially, you know, for, for those parties, uh, you know, so important for us to hear what, you know, what are those main things? I know you said like the peanut butter and jelly voice. That's, that's awesome. I love that. What are some other things that, you know, the concrete things that parents should know, kids should know, educators and robotum should know? Okay. So I'm going to, uh, if it's okay with you, I'll break it down a little bit. And then hopefully if you, if I'm off target, you'll keep me on a little bit. Sure. M is different than that for educators because rabbis have different roles. Mm-hmm. Um, when we do a training for Rabbanim, which I do, which is difficult because a lot of Rabbanim um, prefer male speakers, but sure. I would say that it has easier. Um, right, I'd say right. it has gotten easier. <laughs> but um, the when we do that, we do talk about professional roles, even for Rav. We do even talk about, I do a whole unit with them on the whole concept of charisma and how they use charisma and understanding the dynamics of women in their Mm. communities. Interesting. Um, Right. And then we talk a lot about keeping their community safe in terms of shul safety, Mm -hmm. um, safety in their I feel like youth departments also. That's uh, you know that that's an area where there's you know so many youth and there's a youth director and there's youth leaders who are totally in control and. How do you, you know, how do we set that up as a safe environment? That's uh... right. So we talk about that. We also do a unit with them on keeping their own family safe hmm. because the rough and his wife are often working when they are in shul hmm. and their children are, so to speak, unsupervised. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. And so we talk about how, and also they may have a lot of people at their own home mm-hmm. as guests. So we talk about how to keep their own family safe. Right. 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 And so that's a lot of what we do with Rabbanim. Um, in and when you said of, when you said charisma, what do you mean by that? Meaning that they to, to try to have them tone it down a little bit because of what that could lead to or not necessarily. Somebody could have charisma and utilize their charisma, but it's important for Rabbanim to be aware of the impact of charisma on uh-huh. women. Oh, interesting. And right. And be aware of that and getting too uh was when is it getting too tight mm-hmm. when is it being blurred a little uh-huh. got it. Um, got that it. conversations something i often say is if you your wife picked up um your phone and just read through your texts would you be comfortable mm. wow if a... whatever you're writing would sure. it be comfortable yeah that's um, a great point yeah i for instance once went to a city and they were in a crisis and they needed me to get to the school quickly. So the rabbi and his wife were supposed to pick me up together and bring me to the hotel. I was going to shower and change and go to the school. One of the rabbi's children ended up having a high fever and his wife couldn't come. So he came alone, which is not something he would usually do or I do. Right. And he was going to drop me off at the hotel. I went into the hotel. He stayed in the car. I went in and the hotel didn't have the reservation. Turned out he made the the reservation at a hotel like 20 miles away with the same name. So he said there was a hotel next door. I said, fine, let me walk. I'm fine. So I walked over there. I made the reservation there. I said, go on back. He was very worried and he felt very badly. 
that he thought he had taken care of everything and whatever. And my inclination was to send a text that said, please don't worry, the hotel is fine. Right. And then I said to myself, don't do that. Right, right. Don't do that. Mm -hmm. I don't want a text on my phone that is referring, is talking to a rabbi talking about a hotel. Right, sure, sure. And so I figured when I get there, I'll let him know. Right. But I mm -hmm. think those- Having that sensitivity, right. Wow. Right, we have to have them. All of us need to have them. Mm -hmm. Totally. Um, but certainly rabbis. For sure. Okay, so that's so that's Rabbanim. Let's go through, uh, what do you want to do next? Parents or children or educators, you tell me. Okay, so staff members, I think we talked a lot about. Mm -hmm. Okay with that? With You're saying with, with educators? Right. Yeah, well, so I guess I guess to get a little more specific in terms of like, I'm, I'm an educator myself, you know, and I, I often meet with students, my, you know, my colleagues, we all meet with students. What are some of those things, those concrete things that, you know, just for, for other educators, I know some of the classic things, like obviously you never meet with a student in a room that has no window or that, you know, in, in a little, what, but are there any other things that are not, I guess, as classically known that would be good for us to go through? I would just, for educators, be careful about making sure that whatever your interaction is with a child is, is professional, that you're in your professional role. So one thing males should ever be discussing, female students in terms of their bodies, even their uniforms, any of that should be handled by females. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I completely agree. Sure. Age, even if you're walking in as a Rebbe or whatever, I would say that you need to go to a female teacher and have them deal with that. Right. It's interesting because in my in in one of the schools that I worked in, you know, we we I as a Rebbe was asked to be on the on the committee who is you know the dress code committee and basically telling the uh, the person who oversees it all, you know, if there is someone who is violating it, and I said I'm. I'm not comfortable being on that committee because why should I be looking at girls in that way? That's, that's, that's inappropriate that, you know, whether, whether they're my students or not, either way, I shouldn't have to be looking at it to see, Oh, is that, that's not, that's not a script that's okay for school. And then I'm going to report that I, like as a, as a, as a rabbi, as a male, I shouldn't be looking at that. And, uh, and, and the, when I told the person who was, you know, heading that committee, they're like, totally respect that. Take you off of it. No worries at all. But it's interesting that that was even like a, you know, a have mean in the first place. Right. Right. Absolutely. And something I talk a lot to teachers about is overstepping boundary with children, which is maybe taking a role in a child's life that maybe is too intense. I've seen this more in girls' schools. But I don't know as much that it happens in boys' schools, mm -hmm. but um, where teachers will get very involved in the girl's life and kind of push the parent out. I've had been involved in cases where teachers were calling the girl every single night to say good night hmm. or where That's... girls were calling the teacher many many times a night um tattling on parents and whatever so hmm. it, and wow. you know or another one that's really important for teachers is when something is a high-risk behavior that's not a secret so if a child is cutting if a child is got an eating disorder, if a child has suicidal thoughts and comes to a teacher and says, look, I'm going to tell you, but I don't want you to tell anybody. Right. Teacher's not skilled enough in order to handle those things. Right. That's not a secret you can keep. Mm -hmm. You need to get that child the appropriate help. We've had too many situations where teachers feel so honored by this disclosure that they feel like, you know what, I can take care of it. I'll support you. Mm. Um, there's more going on there. 
Right. And teachers also are not professional social workers necessarily. Sometimes they're, and they're not necessarily psychologists or, you know, and therefore they're not able to deal with that in the most proper way, for sure. Right. And then, of course, really simply, teachers have to be aware, like you say, of where they are physically, where the student is physically, making sure that there's a a comfortable distance, um, what they're talking about with the kids not talking about anything that's inappropriate that they shouldn't be discussing with kids. Sure. Um, you know, all of that, all of those gedarim, gedarim should be really careful, not putting yourself into a situation where you're alone with a child in an un, in a place where others don't have access. Right, right. In terms of going back for a second, in terms of, you know, conversations, I guess. So let's say a student is coming to you and talking to you about something not not necessarily talking to you about something inappropriate per se, but I guess it, it's it's getting towards that place, and and you don't want to have that conversation with them. But at the same time, you know maybe that they need they need help, or that you know there's there's something going on here. What's the best way to react in that situation? That way, you're not pushing them away because there's st- you know you want to have that relationship, but at the same time, you know this is not something that the conversation that you should be having with them. So what I'm going to say is teachers play an incredibly important role incredibly important. I'm going to say that, you know, couldn't do our job without teachers who were doing a good job. But we'd sure have a lot more work without teachers who were doing a good job. Um, It's good that that kids can come and that often teachers have the ability to be trusted and to guide them in different ways. When it gets to things that are high risk, or they feel are above the emotional kind of uh, risky level of what they're experiencing with the other kids, if they see that it's higher risk, and a child is saying something that to them, they feel like, like any of the areas that we've discussed, or my parents are getting divorced, I can't deal with it, my father did this, my mother did that, I can't handle it anymore, that child needs therapy. Mm -hmm. It's good that they're coming to the teacher Whatever teacher that child is coming to has done a good job, right, right of developing right. rapport. Developing a relationship, right, sure. Building a relationship, that child needs a teacher that mm-hmm. they can turn to. The issue then is for a teacher to be able to listen and to say, uh, to validate them, to say, thank you, this means so much to me. I hear what you're saying. Um, I think that it would be best if we would get you the help in, in a different way. I'm happy to make sure that you get that help, but I think maybe you need a therapist who can help you deal with the impact of, let's say, cutting, or let's say um, that your parents divorce, or whatever it may be. I have a brother who's so off the derech and I can't stand it, and it causes so many fights in the house. Let's find somebody. But what they need to hear from you is not you're dumping them. But you're escorting them. Right. You're not letting go. Until yeah, they that's have a great approach. Them. Yeah, that's awesome. That's really helpful. And and what would you say about you know parents? What are some concrete things that parents should? Uh... So, I'd say the most important is that as parents, and it, it's it's it, it's um it's a two hour workshop that we do with them, <laughs> so it's pretty hard to condense. But sure. the important thing is that parents are aware that there's nobody in the world better to talk to their children about anything in relationship to their body than their parent. Mm -hmm. And that we really do have to get over that sensitivity or that hesitation about talking about it. The earlier we start, when we, we could identify body parts to them when they're in a bath and they're two or three, they don't know the difference. They just learn. Right. 
Mm-hmm. That's what it is. Interesting. But right. as, as we take these windows of opportunity as they grow older and we teach them different things, you know, the different things, what I often say to parents is, let's say you really didn't talk about it. You never had a conversation with your kid, right? right. And then your kid's about to go to camp. And you go and you take them and you buy them a bathing suit. And you say something like, hey, you know, I never did have a conversation with you about body safety, did I? Mm, right. Let, let's talk about some of the things that would be important. You know, I went to camp too, and there was all kinds of stuff that happened in camp. Mm. So let's kind of go over the rules of body safety. Mm. So it's taking those windows of opportunity. Right. That's great. Yeah. That's a really great point. I want to bring up one other parental point, if it's okay, because it's so important. Please, 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 yeah. And that is for parents to really teach children about when they have an uncomfortable feeling Mm. and that parents model it. Like if a parent is comfortable with something that they say, I don't think I want to do that. I'm uncomfortable with that. Mm. Um, You know, I mean, I'll come up with a, I don't want to say silly one because it's timely within our, but let's just say that a parent went and got two Corona vaccines. Mm. Okay. And they weren't sure they were uncomfortable about getting the third one. Like if we got two, we have to get a third. So what Mm. does it mean about the two? Right. And they weren't sure they wanted to get it or not. But if what they could share is I'm uncomfortable, I don't know what to do. I have to think about what to do. I, I have an uncomfortable feeling. That's a parent sharing that they're uncomfortable. Mm. If a parent in Los Angeles, we have a lot of homeless people, is walking down the street with their kids and sees a homeless person and says, I'm uncomfortable staying on this side of the street. He scares me a bit. Let's cross. Mm. It's a parent identifying uncomfortable feeling and acting on it. Right. Teaching the children what that feeling is. That they, they might have the feeling, but no no idea what how to label it or what to do with it, giving them the, the you know the the terminology to deal with that a little more. Mm. And when a parent sees that a child's uncomfortable, help them identify that. Are you feeling uncomfortable with that? Mm. Interesting. And then respect their discomfort. For instance, you know, I live in Los Angeles, my grandchildren are all either on the East Coast or in Israel. The older ones know me so, so, so well. The little ones, especially with COVID, less so, right? Right, sure, sure. If I walk in, they may be like, you know, they don't want to be kissed. They don't want to be, they don't know me as well, right? Right, right. important to pay attention to that and to step back. When a parent will say, go, go kiss your bubby, go right. push, get kiss your bubby. That's the only respectful thing to do. It's not, it's not respecting the discomfort. Mm. Respecting the discomfort would be saying she's uncomfortable. Um, maybe later she'll form more like it. Right, right. Hmm, that's a great point. I feel like it's very common when parents, you know, whether they're with their friends or their aunts or their uncles or their grandparents, they say like, go give a kiss. Like that's the way to do it. Or like give a high five, give it, you know, pound it, whatever it is. It's very common for parents to push that. And especially when children are not feeling comfortable, but parents don't really, you know, don't always, you know, tap into that. And that's such an important point. Thank you for sharing that. Wow. And so just going back one, one thing, you know, when you were saying about parents talking, you know, using those opportunities, you know, like when you're going, buying a bathing suit, whatever it is, what age would you say should parents start talking to children about about boundaries, about their bodies, you know, those those types of things? Very young, very young. And it's so much easier when they're young. Mm-hmm. When you say things like, oops, those are your private parts. 
um, let's, you know, we have to keep them covered. Nobody ever has the right to touch you in the private areas of your body or look at your private areas or talk about your private areas. If they do, that's a do tell. You have to tell mommy. Mm-hmm. And that's a simple conversation to have with a little one who doesn't know the difference. When they get bigger and you're just validating it, it's not frightening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And how does that how does that conversation what or I guess what does that conversation look like at that age as they as they get older, I guess, meaning obviously the the conversation shifts. Um are, are there certain things that we shouldn't be saying to children? You know, what is too much info? What is what is scary to tell them? There, you know, how, what's the best way to handle that? those conversations i guess obviously like you were saying when they're younger it's, it's you know easy to say it in certain ways but as they get older you know certain things without without saying it in a way that's going to scare them too much like what's the what's that balance it, you know sometimes um they can tell you the balance when you see a child's not comfortable uh-huh. then they can show you what the balance is but i'm going to say that most kids we don't i i don't find the kids don't want their parent to talk about it Mm-hmm. If a parent is talking about inappropriate things, there may be a, I, that's that's an odd situation, an odd situation right. out. But as kids, it really is about telling children that in whatever way they say it, as long as it's natural, as long as the kids don't feel like, oh God, my parents are calling me in for a conversation, um, they hate that. So you right. have to find a place to have it, like maybe going to camp where you'd say, Nobody should touch or look at, talk about your body. And even if girls are playing games or boys are playing games or whatever, you can't look at or touch or talk about anybody else's body. Right, right. And no one should show you their, theirs, yours. And, you know, sometimes in camp, there are games that kids play. Uh, boys pull pants, you know, pull bathing suits Sure, down. sure. It's a game we shouldn't play. What would you do? What would you do if it happened to you, right? Mm-hmm. And and those are conversations that happen over time. When they get a bit older, um, it's really a wonderful opportunity to talk about puberty and the mm-hmm. changes puberty brings. Right. We highly advise that fathers have discussions with their sons about not asking anybody else look at touch or talk about their body the sons and that they can't do it to anybody else mm-hmm. and to be very specific that means your sister that means a cousin that means a friend and if you ever struggle with that i want you to come tell me mm-hmm. if it's ever struck you should come talk to me i'm gonna uh-huh. help and and you're when you're saying you know talking to them that if there's ever a struggle you know regarding what a struggle in what that way that means that a very significant area of concern in the firm community involves molestation between siblings mm-hmm. or cousins right um what we are saying is we tell all the kids um, if anybody does these things to you, come tell us immediately. And it's been pretty amazing the amount of kids that have come forward and said to their parents, right. you told me to tell you I'm this, telling you. and it really happened, right? right? right. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have to take windows of opportunities to teach kids things at different times. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, one father we spoke to before his son went off to yeshiva, his son went off for ninth grade. He was from, you know, a... Uh, a Western 
town and his kid went off in ninth grade. And I said, you need to have that conversation with him. And he did. And he talked about Buckram and what happens and all of that. And his son called him up, Yom Kippur night, after Yom Kippur, the next right, night, and right. said, last night, this guy came into my room, and this is what he did. And I yelled like you said I should. And I got out. And he said he went out, and the only place he could go was into the base medrash. And he sat in his pajamas in the, in the base medrash until a Rebbe walked in, and he said, this is what Wow. Going back into his room. Wow. But he didn't know what to do. Right, right. Wow. That's that's crazy. But you have to, if you don't have these conversations before they go to yeshiva or before they go to seminary, where are they going to learn this? Right. Don't you want them to come back to you as a parent? Sure. Right, 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 right. That's very true. That's very true. Wow. I, I guess the other thing is, you know, but before, you know, obviously the best thing to do, the best case scenario is to preventative, you know, to, to catch it before, like we're, like we're saying, but what about, uh, you know, what are, what are some ways that parents and educators can do a better job of picking up on cues of, you know, once some, maybe there is something happening, what are those, what are, what do those cues look like and how can parents and educators, you know, pick up on them better? So it's a really important question. Something we teach parents and educators about at great length. I'm going to be real quick here, but we keep at great length is understanding grooming behavior. Mm-hmm. Because the majority of molestation in the from community is not what we call a grab and snatch. In the middle of the night, someone comes in, grabs a person, molests them, and puts them back in their world. Right. It's not what it is. They've all been groomed. Interesting. And so it's that next step in that special relationship. Mm-hmm. So what we teach teachers, both in terms of themselves and students and being aware of things, but also in terms of them picking things up that the students may share or that they may see, and for parents, is to understand the grooming process. Mm-hmm. That grooming process is a very slow process where a groomer actually can reach out to many, many kids and see who actually really responds to him. Interesting. Right? Hmm. And a groomer will start out just by developing a relationship and also possibly developing a relationship with the parent. Um, so the parent will trust them as well. Interesting. Uh, hmm. Yeah. Uh, for instance, a case of, let's say, a rub and one of his own kids, like he has you know, all of his kids are, are going to Riverdale, right? And one of his kids uh, wears the pink shirt and whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And so a member of the community says, you know, I see you're, you know, he's different than the uh, Why don't I take him to baseball games? Wouldn't mm-hmm. that be a nice thing to do? Why don't I take him here? Why don't I do this with him? Why? You have to really watch those special relationships. What mm-hmm. I say is, frankly, adults need to play with adults and kids need to play with kids. Right, right. Adults right. need their relationships to be with other adults mm-hmm. and they shouldn't needs met through kids. So as parents and as teachers, we have to watch those relationships that kids are in. They slowly develop a relationship where the child becomes dependent on their giving and their caring um, of the child. And then it slowly goes to the point where it becomes physical, 
once that relationship, and even when it becomes physical, starts out so safe on the cheek, on the head, a good bear hug, right? Right. And then it's down and becomes inappropriate. Mm -hmm. What kid to do? The whole time this person's been so nice to him, right, so good right, to right, him, right. and then it becomes inappropriate. How does a child say no? Mm-hmm. Right. Well, how do you do that? You said before that a lot of it was within within siblings. Some, not all of them, but but there are you know a number of cases like that. So how do you, you know, how do you what do, what do you do to prevent? Or I guess how do you pick up on those cues when you know siblings do hang out and you know they play together or whatever it is? So how do you what, what do you do to pick up on those cues and I guess then prevent it? Right. So part of what we talk about with parents is creating a safe home, mm-hmm. which means that parents do need to make sure that both their sons and their daughters know the rules. No one's allowed to touch, look at, or talk about private areas of the body. You have anybody do that to you and you can't do it to anybody else. What would you do if anybody ever tried to do that or talked Mm. about doing that if anybody? So you might say to your child, so that would mean what if an uncle tried to do that, what would you do? You'd have to say no and come tell me. What What if your own brother tried, what would you do? Right, you'd say no, you'd come tell me. What if somebody in the family said, um, but I'm allowed to, is that okay? I'll say no and come tell me, right? Right. right. Um, and you bring up, what if it was, what if it was a teacher or a Rebbe or a Mora, what would you do? It's mm-hmm. all the same. The rule is the same for everybody. Right. You need to say no and tell them if they threatened you and they said, if you tell, I'm going to get you in so much trouble and I'm going to tell them, what would you do? Always come tell me. Mm-hmm. I'm always going to take care of you. You're my priority. Right. I'll believe you always. In terms if of- you don't have these conversations, you put them in a vulnerable place. Right. The other piece is physical supervision. Uh-huh. What, do you, what do you mean by that? Meaning like just watching them. Right. And, you know, one woman called me after I gave a workshop and she told me, could I please add to my that parents, when they get up at night to go to the bathroom or if a parent goes to sleep late and give them a kiss, children should know that when the door closes at night, it's not closed for the night, that it can open. Mm-hmm. because parents check on their kid. And you shouldn't check on it in terms of take a flashlight and say, who's in here? I'm checking. Right. But it needs to be that loving kiss. But they need to know right. that even when the door closes, that it can open. Mm, that's a great point. That's a really, really great point. Wow. What, what would you say are the most important skills that you can recommend to, to just to our community as a whole to uh, you know put a realistic stop I guess you're saying you you've been saying a lot about you know having preventative conversations, but what other skills to to really really put a realistic stop to 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 get a stop to having these horrific things happening within our community? It's a hard question, um, yeah. but I really I do feel that if communities work together, where we have administrators, staff, parents, and kids educated, they're educated that we come closer to creating a community where a predator is not likely to come. They Mm -hmm. don't want to get caught. They don't want to get caught. So if this guy is spending way too much time with these kids and that happens fast and the rabbi can deal with it Mm -hmm. and say, we don't spend with kids, 
um, adults have to be with the adults and kids have to be with the other kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it's a problem and it keeps recurring and the rabbi has to figure out how to deal with that, right. it may be communicating to make it a safer community. Um, and the rabbinim are going to have to, many communities have, but I truly believe that this world, based on what has just happened with Chaim Walder, this world is going to be a different world for the front people. Mm-hmm. I think it has truly shown people what can happen to our children with people we trust. Right. And I think that every community is going to want to look at how do we protect our children. And more and more of them are going to get together and figure out what are the processes we need to do when a case, come to, a case comes to us. Right, right. So I guess, I mean, going back for a second, you, you, you know, we've been saying how a lot about how adults should be with adults and kids should be with kids, but in camps and in shuls, you know, specifically, I guess also in schools, but more so in camps and in shuls, often, you know, you have kids with adults and shuls, you know, you have the kids with youth leaders, youth directors, camps with their counselors in the bunks and, you know, things like that. How do you, how do we, how do we create a safer environment there with where it's, it's built in that they're supposed to be like that. So I do believe, I know we came up with something called Project Safe Camp, where we were doing trainings with counselors and directors. Mm -hmm. Um, There are other programs out there as well that do trainings, but it really puts the responsibility on the directors to be supervising the counselors as well and looking out for those special relationships that look like there Mm -hmm. could be something going on there that's wrong. Interesting. Um, And I think that intensive trainings with counselors is important. They are young. They're 16, 17, or 18 years old. Mm. So they need to be trained, but the people who supervise them also have to be trained. Right, right, right. The other thing I'm just going to say is, um, I'm going to get on my soapbox a minute um, and say that I truly believe that if every parent said, um, uh, I'd like to send my kid to your camp. Can you tell me what are your safety protocol that every camp would have safety protocol? Mm. But today my yeah. parents are saying, I need to get to your camp. What in the world do I need to do to get my kid? Right. Right. And I th- all need to focus on making sure that camps have safety protocol and supervision. Right. I right. believe more and more of them do. Yeah, no, I, I I've, I've worked at camps and, we we have a mandatory training, but I don't know if that's the case in necessarily every every camp. And that that's a very good point. It's a very very mm-hmm. good point. W- would you say that uh, you know the statistics of of abuse in the Jewish community? You know, I guess what are they? Are they are they more towards sexual abuse? Is it you know the other other areas of abuse? Is it more common with our within our community or or not necessarily? These are these are questions I can't really answer accurately. I don't know how accurate there are. People, um, Yitzi Schechter has done, I think, some uh, really intensive work around, and I'd say probably has some of the best statistics that are out there. I think mm-hmm. uh, maybe Amudim may have done some as well. Right. Have their statistics. Mm-hmm. I guess the statistic that I pay, I do carry, I do have certain statistics, but what I would say, the statistic that I say is one child of ours is affected. It's one too many because it affects them for life. Right. Um, 
are our statistics higher or lower? I would say that it's very hard to tell because I think there's a lot more disclosure than there used to be. Mm. So does that mean there's more or less or does it mean more disclosing? Interesting. I will tell you something that I find sad all the time is that when I go do a staff workshop or a parent workshop, when that workshop is over, there are generally lines of people, almost all of them disclosing, often for the first time, their own molestation. Wow, that's crazy. That's horrible. Yeah. The parents are disclosing that which happened to them. Yeah, that's, wow. That's crazy. Wow. Are there any other resources that you would recommend for parents to, I guess, to read or to get access to, you know, in terms of this, in this area? Well, there are good books for kids Mm -hmm. um, that parents should be reading to kids in a natural way. It's a good book to read and to have conversations with, which is Yankee Horowitz's Let's Stay Safe. Rabbi Mm -hmm. Yaakov Horowitz's Let's Stay Safe. Sure. And Rabbi Moshe Bach has um, Private Places. Hmm. Those are both very good books. I think Brecha Getz on her own may have some books as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think those are good books and great opportunities for talking. Um, I I think that there are other programs out there. I don't know right now because some of them have come and gone over time. Right. I don't know what other programs are out there right now. But in terms of resources, certainly if a parent is worried that something may have happened to their own child, I would definitely suggest they call either Relief for Referrals or call Amudim, who really has incredible resources as well. Right, 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 sure. So I, I know that um, that you work with many different types of communities, some which are you know sometimes less transparent, more insular. How have the various communities been receptive to your work? And, and I guess also, have you had to tweak or change your presentations or your work uh, based on, you know, based on that or, you know, your, your practice in any way? Uh, that's a great question. We started out with a very mo- modern Orthodox version mm-hmm. because they were the only ones who would let us in. Really? And then, yeah. And then I guess that's once, not so surprising. But <laughs> No, this is also 10 or 12 years ago that we sure. did, right? And then um, the more yeshivish community wanted the program, but they didn't want all of our artwork and everything. Mm-hmm. So we have a yeshivish safety kit, uh-huh. right? He's more yeshivish, the whole program. He's more like black velvet yarmulke <laughs> and, um, and like a vest, whereas the other uh, the other has more fatigues and that kind of thing. So right, he's right. a little more yeshivish. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what happened was um, the Hasidish world wanted the program. Mm-hmm. And that has been incredible. It's been an incredible experience. We spent over two years uh, developing the program. Wow. Uh, there was a wonderful kind of back and forth about how to say things and um, how we can say things and what we can show and what we can't and all of that. Uh, but it was really interesting that they they would tell me the sensitivity, but they always gave me the final word. They went to their Dianim. They wouldn't say anything in a way I didn't feel was appropriate. But I do want to say one thing that's incredible. Their pictures show specifically a brother and a sister. Mm-hmm. Most yeshivish communities would not have wanted us to show a picture specifically of a brother and a sister right. in the same room. But their Dayanim said, 
if this is the biggest problem, you must talk Show it. about it. Wow, wow. And so they That's did that. Amazing. They also have a picture of grooming uh, in a base medrash of somebody giving chocolate to another boy in a base medrash, which mm-hmm. is very practical. It's very practical, their program. Totally in Yiddish. They've given it all over the New York area. I think they've given it in some other areas. And they've actually taken the program to, they went to Belgium. And um, now the whole program is in Flemish. Wow. Um, yeah. So, so cool. They are wonderful. I speak to them all the time. They've really taken seriously the issue of how to deal with a perpetrator if it comes up. They've taken it very seriously. So mm-hmm. uh, they've dealt with all kinds of issues in camps. They've really taken it very seriously. Wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. It's incredible. <laughs> what would you say are the is the best way for educators and parents to best meet the social and emotional needs of their students and children? You know, I think, like I said, of educators, um, you're with them more hours a day than anybody else. Right. Uh, and I think having good boundaries, but showing them care, concern, and respect, mm-hmm. uh, I think that's really um, what, so that that's what they need in a relationship for, from you, that you know your boundaries, you know what your role is in their life, you don't get into other roles in their lives, but you you are able to communicate with them and leave the door open for them to tell you when there are issues of concern. Mm-hmm. For sure. I think with parents, you know, it really is some of a lot of what we've been talking about, which is really just opening the conversations with them and being respectful when they come back to you. And that if they do have something to say, that you stay very, very calm mm. and that you respond in a way that allows them to continue. They tell the parent they won't continue. They'll renege on what they've said. Right. Right. For sure. For sure. Yeah, no, it's it's it's. It's a big topic in terms of like how to create that, you know, safe environment for them to speak and feel they can really, that they're being here, being heard and that they can continue talking. It's, it's a, you know, it's a hard thing, but it's, it's super important, super, mm-hmm. super important. As we, as we wrap up, I'm curious to hear if there's any practices um, in your home that you've learned or used from, from, you know, from your role over the years, not just in terms of, you know, this specific area, but, you know, also, you know, as being, as being a social worker, a licensed social worker, like different things from from your role as a, wor- a social worker with Megan Yeladim, things that you've brought into your home over the over the years. I'll I'll tell you um, two little stories that probably will bring that out. One of them was um, I, I I have had discussions with my grandchildren. At this point, I don't have children in the house, but my grandchildren sure. uh, over time about these rules. So one of the thing is like. We tell children that when they go anywhere into, uh, let's say, a store or they go into a, a, a park and the, with their parents during Cholomoid or whatever, they have to know who the safe helpers would be. So in Target, somebody in a red shirt, mm. if you walk into Disneyland or Disney World, what do the safe helpers here look like? So you want them to know what an employee looks like and mm. that they have to stay in an open area. They can never go anywhere with anybody alone right. at the state mm-hmm. open areas. So my grandchildren, when we drive up, you hear them all going, okay, green shirts. Are you happy now? <laughs> so they'll tease me 
but the bottom line is they all know it. They know it, right? They all know they are. And it was interesting because one of my grandchildren, we went into this small restaurant um, in Passaic and he looks at me and he goes, the people behind the counter and stuff, they don't have like a colored shirt that we know. (laughs) So how do we know if they're safe helpers? I said, that's such a good question, but anybody who's by the cash register Mm. is watching the money. Right. So they have to stay there. So that would be a safe person to go to. Mm-hmm. But they ask the questions. Right, right, right. Just the fact that you're planting that seed in their in their head, that's 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 amazing. Right. The other thing I was gonna say is with one of my own kids, you know, my kids are now older than I want to acknowledge with their own <laughs> families, right? Sure. And one of them was um as as they were growing up, I used to go over this stuff with them, this information with them, and that you yell no. And you come and you tell mommy and tati, you have to, if anything were to ever happen, you yell no, you come and you tell mommy and tati. And it just so happens that, okay, so we said that a lot when they were younger. Um, and so happens that one of my kids went to BMG. Hmm. Um, more than one of my kids went there, but one of my kids went to BMG. Sure. And one morning I get a call and he goes, mom, craziest thing happened. Last night I was sleeping and some guy came he ripped off my blanket, started to touch me. I screamed, no, and the guy just ran away. I just thought I'd tell you. Wow. Now, I want to tell you what I find fascinating by that. I don't believe my kid is the only kid in BMG that ever happened to. Oh, I'm sure. I do believe he's probably the only one who called his mom the next morning. Right, <laughs> that's probably true. <laughs> and the reason is it was... You yell no and you tell. I don't think he knew what he was doing. I don't think he did. It was just it was just automatic. Automatic. That's what you do. Hmm. And so I think if we keep it cool, we don't want to overdo it, but if we keep it cool and we have these discussions and you validate what they say, I used to say that one of my kids we'd had this discussion when he was little and he was in preschool. Every time anybody went into a bathroom, I knew. That was a private part. So I knew anybody who went into a bathroom. All we did is say, thank you. Thanks for telling us. I mean, right. we still know I didn't need to know. Right. But right. we validated. Right. So right. I those things are important. Yeah. Yeah. Very important. Thank you so, so much for taking the time and really educating us on these incredibly important points and so many fascinating insights and, and really important things for, for parents and educators and rub on them to know. And uh, really, thank you again for taking the time. Sure. Okay, great. I found this episode to be super helpful as a, an educator, a rabbi, a parent. I really loved the idea of the peanut butter and jelly voice and the important role that we play as parents in setting our children up for success with these things, having the conversations to preempt really anything. I fully agree with Debbie that we can only put a stop to this if every aspect of our community is working together. And if not, we're, we're a community that is allowing abuse. And it's really sad to see that even in the aftermath of the whole situation with Heim Walder, that there is still situations going on and people that are blatantly ignoring it. Uh, just yesterday, I was reading a whole thread on Twitter and that was super upsetting of, you know, of cases that are going on and, and people silencing and ignoring it. We really need to join together as a community to put an end to all of this once and for all. Again, I said in the beginning, this episode is a must listen. Please help to spread the word so that we can 
put an end to these horrible things. Share this with your friends, with your family, share it on WhatsApp groups. And if you found it to be helpful, I'd love to hear from you. I'd love your feedback, whether on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, or email, jeducationpodcast at gmail.com. Please uh, reach out. Love to hear from you and looking forward to another amazing episode next week.